0: You are now listening to The Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, Politics Editor at The Griot and Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guest five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We've got five rounds of questions about us, Black history, the whole diaspora, current events, everything. With each round, the questions get a little tougher, and the guest has 10 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they'll receive one symbolic Black fist and hear this. If they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we'll still love them anyway. And after the five questions, there'll be a Black bonus round at the end just for fun. I like to call it Black Lightning. Our guest for this episode is Amanda Seals. Amanda is a comedian and creative visionary with a master's in African-American studies from Columbia University, and she seamlessly blends humor and intellect with her unique style of smart, funny content, which spans various genres across the entertainment and multimedia landscape. She's best known for her iconic role as Tiffany Dubois on HBO's Insecure, her debut stand-up comedy special, I Be No One, and her podcast, Small Doses, as well as her variety game show, Smart, Funny, and Black. Amanda Seals keeps us laughing, thinking, and living in her truth. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining The Blackest Questions. Hello, Dr. Grell. Hello, uh, hello. I'm going to try not to be too silly this episode. Why? <laughs> Every time I'm with you on some sort of podcast, we act like we, little fools and I love it.
2: Yes, we should because this world is absolutely ridiculous. It's So cuckoo we pants. need to like, you know... Yes. I heard a white man say that you know he didn't believe that uh, unmarried children should have access to con- to, to contraceptives. A South oh. Carolina state senator, unmarried children, and I was oh. just like, you know what? Let me go answer some black ass questions. Yes, let, because... me...
1: <laughs> so, let me. So, here's the myself. thing: because you you blend seamlessly, sort of, the reality, the harsh realities of this insane world, especially how Black folks are just trying to not just survive, but thrive. But you're really, really funny doing it. So when did you get into comedy and stand-up in particular? Like, were you always writing it? Were you always thinking about it? Like, how do we make this transition from getting a master's at Columbia to moving to Hollywood and starring as Tiffany Dubois?
2: I mean, there's a big chunk of time in between there where I was actually very immersed in hip-hop. And I was a vj on mtv i was a dj on the ones and twos i was writing for double xl and for the source um i then was doing my own music and i have like four albums that i've put out and i was on q-tips album the renaissance and you know i really had like a whole entire existence in hip-hop as amanda diva um and oh right Ah, i'm now remembering this (laughs) And I was doing Spoken Word. I was on Deaf Poetry Jam for two seasons. So, like, I had this whole other track of life. And then around um, 31, I just kind of started to realize that, like, the business of hip-hop had taken over the, creative, the creativity mm-hmm. that made me love it so much. And mm-hmm. I was also just realizing I didn't want to, like, be a man diva anymore. I felt like there was, like, a... I don't want to say serious, but just a more adult <laughs> like a more mature like direction i needed to go in and i had to go through i guess what people call a rebrand uh but other people might just call it evolution like just uh yeah or i like i like to
1: call mine my renaissance period
2: yes Various it was a renaissance, renaissance period. period and i had to kind of just go back to the drawing board of like what am i passionate about mm-hmm. what am i interested in what do i see myself committing to in a real earnest way. That's not going to drain me, but will sustain me. Mm -hmm. And I've always been obsessed with comedy. Like I've always been a humorous person myself, but I've always been just like obsessed with, you know, Seinfeld and Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy and Saturday night live and, and a different world. Like these were not just pop culture, uh, (laughs) you know, pop culture smatterings of, of, uh, content. This was like lifeblood for me.
1: Right. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, no, I was going to say like when I was a kid, like I would carry around Chris Rock's book, Rock This, you know, like people carry around the Old Testament. Like it was very serious, you know, like I'm memorizing bits, but like to what end, you know what I mean? Like I'm just just getting it together.
1: So when you were like, who was, if you think back, who was your favorite comedian as a child? Like who was your first favorite comedian? Annette Seals. (laughs) My mother- She's hilarious. My mother is a fool. Okay, okay? can we have her on the package? My mother.
2: <laughs> she. The thing is, you. It would take. I think it would take like thirty minutes for her to mm-hmm. really like mm-hmm. settle in. Um. But my mom can give you just a dagger. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. she has the sharpest tongue that I know, and I feel like that was where I got my first chops. Okay. Was you know you got to keep up and like my whole family is like that. Mm-hmm. Like they they will roast you and you better be able to roast back. Like, you know, so I think that was my first comedian, my mom. Okay, um, And who's and your first like famous like, comedian? Famous. Well, I not saying say that Annette Seals first...
1: is a famous. <laughs> no, no. I mean,
2: I would, I would say my first favorite comedian who I consider to be like a comedian would have been Eddie Murphy. Mm. I mean, I, I, uh, Coming to America, I'm obsessed with. Girl, I read a book uh,
1: called Black Ethnics, which is basically my love letter to Coming to America.
2: <laughs> there you go. I mean, to be loved. I mean, I can. don't get me started. We, like, okay. between Coming to America quotes and color purple quotes, like, that'll be
1: the whole That's show. it. That's it. Do you think perhaps just once I might use the bathroom by myself? Most amusing, sir. Uh, I think one day we should just do a quote-unquote reading of Coming to America, but without a script, because both of us could probably cite the movie from start to finish. I mean, I will do the opening credits where it's talking about John Landis and we're like, you know, going across. It's like, Oh, I'll do the music.
2: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. So before we get to some black expressions, because you know, my favorite comedian, like, Oh, I remember. was Joan Rivers.
2: But you had, let me tell you. So Joan Rivers has a a joke that many consider racist, but sometimes things exceed. It's okay. So Nobody's yeah, perfect. sometimes things kind of just like exceed, like the funny mm-hmm. can exceed. Yeah. And the joke is, she was like, you know, Michelle Obama, she has song. style. She has her own impeccable style. You know, she's even more stylish, I guess, than say even Jackie Onassis. So I guess we should call her Blackie
1: O. <laughs> <laughs> and she got in a lot of trouble for that. She did. She really I did. Was, like... But you know, I, lo- I loved her talk show. I would <laughs> Just rush like I don't. I would rush home after school to see her talk show at three o'clock every day. Really, we went to school across the street from my house, and I was like, I think this woman is hilarious. So I mean, but she
2: you know she was biting,
1: yeah, know? and she I mean- she's edgy. And for you know a freaking seven year old, I'm like, this woman is talking. <laughs> she talked <touched> in <laughs> like double entendres as a kid. You know, for a yes. kid to listen to, I was like, okay, she's something. Okay, so listen, um, maybe but you would but you would
2: ask, how did I? get to Mm -hmm. comedy. And it was because at that, like I realized if I really want to like advance in my career, I need to do something different than what I was already Mm -hmm. doing. And when I looked at the landscape of people who were already doing the things I wanted to do, who were basically making a career for themselves on their own, like on the merit of their own point of view, not because of a character Mm -hmm. or a movie they were in or a book they had written, but just like what they thought about things. I looked at Chris Rock, Ellen, Ellen, Chelsea Handler and I was like they all do all the things I can do except for one thing. They all did stand up and I didn't do stand up. Um, and I was like let's do okay, it. Okay. So I need to call that to mm-hmm. to my space. And and then I did it and I was like, "Oh, you need to be able to do this very well." Right. And so I like committed myself to that.
1: And shout out to Marina Franklin, the stand-up comedian uh who yes. introduced us, who's just like a solid, solid person on all things and I just I yes. love the way she supports stand-ups. Um all across the country. Okay, you ready to play the Blackest Questions? I'm ready. I'm so excited to have you here.
2: The Negro preguntas. Let's go. <laughs> Negro.
1: Okay. Let's go. Okay. Question one. I'm ready. Uh huh. After Christmas, many people celebrate both Boxing Day and this holiday. What is it? Kwanzaa. That is correct. So. Kwanzaa was created in the 1960s by Milana Karenga, a black nationalist who later became a college professor. And he created Kwanzaa as a way of uniting and empowering the African-American community in the aftermath of the Deadly Watts Rebellion. And so he modeled his holiday on traditional African harvest festivals. And he took the name Kwanzaa from the Swahili phrase Matunda Ya Kwanza," which means first fruits. So it's often thought of as an alternative to Christmas, but many people actually celebrate both. So Kwanzaa is not a religious holiday; it's a cultural one with an inherent spiritual quality, says Karanga. And so African Americans of all faiths can and do celebrate Kwanzaa, and it centers around seven principles. I won't give you a quiz on the seven principles, but I was like, "Are you going to ask for three of the okay, seven? You want to name you some? I, I can. I can name some. I can give you okay. three. Nia, uh-huh. Nia,
2: Nia. Sorry, Nia, Umoja. Uh-huh. And Everyone knows
1: Kujichakaliyah. Girl, you know I was about to say Kujichakaliyah. Kujichakaliya. So <laughs> Emoja is unity. Kujichakaliyah is self-determination. Ujima, that's the one I always forget. Collective work and responsibility. We'll have my therapist figure out why I always forget that one. Ujama, that's cooperative economics. Nia is purpose. Kumba is creativity. And Imani is faith. And so there are three of the seven candles are red, which represent struggle. Three of the candles are green, represent the land and hope for the future. And one of the candles is black, which represents the people of African descent. So some families who celebrate Kwanzaa dress up or decorate their homes in those colors. So we started with Boxing Day. Did, your, did you and your family celebrate Boxing Day or Kwanzaa growing up? Because I know that your, your people are from Grenada.
2: Yeah, but uh, you're really just celebrating Christmas, and even when you're celebrating Christmas, you're celebrating a tree and presents. You're you're really celebrating decorating. That's what you're celebrating. In my house, in my house, what you're celebrating is oh, this is an excuse to decorate in a theme. Right.
1: Um, Right. I didn't grow up celebrating Kwanzaa, and I always felt like oh, you know, when I'm when I'm older, I'll celebrate Kwanzaa, and I still don't. I feel like I should, but I mean, listen, I don't. Do you have a favorite holiday?
2: Well, you know, my Christmas is my favorite holiday more so because of the music. Like, I Mm. love Christmas music. I mean, it's a great canon. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, I think Kwanzaa is very austere. And I think for the Mm. most Mm -hmm. part, particularly Americans, look at holidays as, like, you know, let loose festivity kind of vibes. And so I think it doesn't really fit in... With the way Americans celebrate holidays, in other places holidays are are attached to like actual real mm-hmm. things, and and, and not and just holidays.
1: Leave bars. it to the Americans to to make it
0: whole. Thing. Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the Black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard.
1: Okay, so you're on a roll. You ready for questions number right? two? Okay, question number two. Lasting roughly from the 1910s through the mid 1930s, this period is considered a golden age in African-American culture, manifesting in literature, music, stage performance, and art. What is it? The Harlem Renaissance. That is correct. The Harlem Renaissance was the development of the Harlem neighborhood in New York City as a black cultural mecca in the early 20th century and the subsequent social and artistic explosion that resulted. So it was an intellectual and cultural revival of African-American music, dance, art, fashion, literature, theater, politics, and scholarship that was centered in Harlem, Manhattan, New York City, spanning... Uh, the early 20th century period. And at the time, it was known as the New Negro Movement and named after the New Negro, a 1925 anthology edited by Alan Locke. And so while the Renaissance was not confined to just Harlem, the Harlem District of New York City, Harlem attracted a remarkable concentration of intellectual and talented people and served as a symbolic capital to this cultural awakening. And so the Harlem Renaissance was a phase of a larger New Negro Movement that had emerged in the early 20th century and in some ways ushered in the civil rights movement in the late 1940s and 50s. And this embrace of literature and music and theater and visual arts, the participants sought to reconceptualize the Negro apart from white stereotypes that had influenced Black people's relationships to their heritage and to each other. So knowing all of that, I know you and I both lived in Harlem at a time. What can you sort of, do you feel... Did you feel that energy still of the Harlem Renaissance when you were there? And do you think that there's an element of kind of a Harlem Renaissance taking place now in TV and in literature? Thinking about diasporic uh, novels that are coming out or just so many Black TV shows that are showing all these different facets of Blackness. Do you feel it's a different renaissance? People always
2: say this. What Black TV shows are there? I'd be like, what and I'm in idea. this business, but I'm just like there's right. not a lot I of mean, black TV shows compared to what I was experiencing growing up.
1: Grow our sitcoms that we had, like Martin in a Different World. But I mean, like you know, you were on a very popular one of I me. Mean, obviously, Issa Rae has has she rab- then did another rab- one.
2: If she has real feelings, then she needs to let those skeletons out the closet now. Tip might be right.
1: Stuff and so that's too. Um, there's the whole Blackish anthologies, I guess. That people are that's watching me. um <laughs> what's the new one see you know what um, i'm saying it's like peacock you that's it's the, the friends thing. yeah i don't you watch can't, it
2: um you can, if you right. have to if you have to what's the, the like right. there should be so many but
1: what about like atlanta or like i mean i guess i put flatbush misdemeanors in that category. Yeah, but, or you know what Southside and sherman showcase shout out to dialla riddle we and can Michelle, name, Michelle, Michelle we can name we
2: can name them there okay. isn't like an uh, abundance, and for what about literature with like Caribbean and? African I mean, I will say this: I don't feel I can't authors. speak. I can't speak informatively to literature because I I am not as well read at this point in my life as I should be. Okay, but when I speak, when I think about that question about is there a Black Renaissance happening in like TV and film, I just feel like that's not really the case. Mm-hmm. Considering I have I live in this business and they won't let a black renaissance happen, right? At least right now. Like these people are gatekeeping right. like a mofo. They're saying things mm-hmm. in meetings that still make you just like, have to reach out to Harriet Tubman and be like, did you hear that? Like me, it, like, meetings. really. And so I feel right. like the actual renaissance is happening online. I feel like the amount mm-hmm. of content that is created daily by black folks on these internets Really is where the talent, the uh, challenge to the status quo, where the reimagining of identity—that's where really for me is taking place. When I see just the actual comedic genius that people are creating at their desk, and they're doing it while they're busy doing other things too. It's not like I
1: mean that was like the beauty of COVID lockdown, where there's so many talented people. Where I was like, you were just a regular person Mm -hmm. who. Is at your job <laughs> and just found not time. even on break. I
2: just found time. Not even on break. F-
1: you just have a time. smartphone. You
2: stole time. That's it. And 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 had time to give us this gem. So but when I listen This is the true love,
1: definition of reclaiming my time. It is. The true the real and definition. And then you're
2: like, you're giving unto us. And it's like, thank you. Yeah. Namaste. I mean, listen, I um when we do smart funny in black as a show, it is meant to can like exist in this space it is meant to exist in a space of like mm-hmm. constantly reminding us of you know the work that was done in the Harlem Renaissance and in the Civil Rights Movement, and like the it is it is exists in a space of celebration with the goal of inspiring rena- another Renaissance, with inspiring radicalism mm-hmm. and revolution, and just like self love of blackness. How black are you feeling today? That's how we always start the show. We want to know how black are how you. How black feeling. am I feeling today? Yes, um, I'm. I'm always in a in a good feeling of Blackness. And so, I feel like that is something that kind of has also come from me being on the internet so much and really getting to see just how much of a monolith we are not. Um, we are
1: not. I love black ethnics. But
2: living in Harlem, I lived in Harlem from, nine, uh, from 2003 to 2015. And mm. I went to Columbia. And um, I will say that I think the Harlem Renaissance... There's like little pockets. I distinctly remember this one thing. So my homeboy Marvin, shout out to Marvin, uh, who's a new father. Marvin was like, "I want to take you to this place I discovered on uh, Strivers Row, okay? So this mm-hmm. is a stretch of stretch of block that's named for Strivers Row, Frederick Douglass, and this woman had every Saturday would turn her apartment into a jazz like. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah. Like not a speakeasy, but just like a jazz Loki key hall. Yeah. But then they wrote about it in the New York Times, and then it it, it ruined changed.
2: it. Uh, I mean, anytime you know, right? I mean, I went when it was not in the New York Times, and she was passing exactly. around like watered down Kool Aid in sippy in like little shot, you know, like mm-hmm. the Dixie cups, and yes, the paper cups, the paper, that gets off. yes, you know, and <laughs> you're just like, man, this is this is uh, these are some
1: jamming cats. Yeah, but the thing the, I think that's. Well, before we move on to question number three, but I think that's what makes me so sad about so many parts of Harlem. Like, you know, all these sort of dive bars that I went to back in the day, you know, the gentrification and kind of the cultural vulture to say-
2: I lived down the block from St. Nick's Pub. Uh-huh. And St. Nick's Pub well, is exactly that.
1: Tiktok, Yeah, tick-tock. Is it well, still, I mean, listen, Lenox Lounge, Lenox Lounge is now a bank. Lennox Lounge is now a bank. I mean- St. Nick's Pub, I think, is like is a it, grocery store. I
2: was going to say, thing. I remember when I yes. was moving- to LA and I ran into the owner of St. Nick's Pub. And he was like, yeah, I'm selling it. Mm -hmm. But that was where I had first heard, um, Gregory, damn, he's a jazz musician and Gregory Porter. And Gregory Porter is like this big old jazz singer now, but I have an audio recording from when I had an iPod with a a microphone (laughs) attachment. (laughs) And I was there and he went on stage and I was like, oh yes, because I have purposely gone and I have him singing Be Good, like in St. Nick's Mm -hmm. Pub. I probably should Mm -hmm. like, you know, put that out there. But I I got to go there and be in the mix of like the, I feel like the last kind of, the last wave of Harlem blackness before the gentrification. Right.
1: Well, I mean, the expansion of Columbia and hypergentrification and, you know, two million two-bedroom apartments and ushered uh-huh. in a whole different kind of renaissance
0: the Grio black podcast network is here and it's everything you've been waiting for news talk entertainment sports and today's issues all from the black perspective ready for real talk and black culture amplified? be inspired listen to new and established voices now on the Grio black podcast network listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great
1: podcasts are heard Okay, we're ready for question number three. You are killing the game over here.
2: Okay, let's do it. I'm going to try and make making... it.
1: So, this popular area in Paris, France, is regarded as Little Africa. What is it called?
2: Oh, I didn't know it was international, with it? Um,
1: yeah, you lost me on that one. Okay. It's called Chateau Rouge. Okay. It's the African quarters, and it's a metro stop in the 18th arrondissement mm-hmm. of Paris. This is my fake French accent. Um, it's vibrant <laughs> with African vendors, restaurateurs, and tradesmen. Um, and Chateau Rouge is similar to the stretch on 116th Street, the 116th mm-hmm. to 125th Street yes. in Harlem, just yes. like Paris. So it's, you know, it's this thriving area uh, with, you know, folks from the Gambia and fabrics imported from Nigeria. And so it's at the full at the foot of the Montmore Hill. And it's a popular district in Chateau Rouge. It's one of the meeting places people in the African community. And so it's, despite urban and residential changes, it's it's, uh-huh. So it's got exotic grocery stores and beauty and cosmetic stores and fabric shops and halal butcher shops, uh, taxi phones and restaurants. And so you were, we're thinking about, you know, sort of so much of your comedy is rooted in, in blackness and sort of black solidarity and collective action. Do you travel quite a bit, and have you been to, say, Black countries, and have you performed in Black countries? Because I'm always fascinated to see if the comedy translates or transfers to other Black people in other spaces.
2: Um, I mean, I will say, I think my comedy is very specifically Black American, um, just with, as it relates to our experience. I consult with Latravius in the mirror because Latravius is a gay black man, and gay black men have more confidence than anybody on the planet. I will say I feel like London may be able to get it, and South Africa may be able to get it, but like if I'm taking it to like Sierra Leone, I don't know that they would necessarily like be tapped in in the way that Western Black American culture has like become. Pretty, it's pretty common in those areas, but ultimately, <laughs> I have not. Um, I have not performed stand-up much out of the country. Uh, You know, the thing about it, too, is I really dedicated myself from, like, 2017. I said, I told myself from 2017 to 2019 that I was not going to travel. I was going to, no, it was 2018 to 2020. I was like, I'm not going to travel. I need to focus on my career. Mm. So like 2017, I went to Togo, I went to Ghana, I went to Cuba, I went to Grenada. Um, but it was like, I, all this travel is is incredible and it's mind blowing. But I knew that I needed to like plant my feet yeah. here to kind of just like get some, some shit done. And so that's Ooh, what girl. I did.
1: I feel like you're speaking to me because it's like, I feel like I need to sit down right because with covid i was locked in and so i've been i've been traveling a ton but mm-hmm. the thing is for me as someone who does american politics i feel like just like mark twain i need to leave america on a frequent basis of course the same way like the mountain needs to the the climber needs to leave the mountain so the mountain is clear to the climber but i hear you on sort of this like being still and sitting down and yeah. like getting your your stuff done. Yeah. And I think I'm resisting that, you know, it's cause I'm like, where else should I be going? And it's like, Hey, sit down, sit down someplace.
2: It's real. It's mm-hmm. the urge, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I ended up like for my birthday, I, I randomly like booked a show, a game show that shot in Ireland. And yeah. like, I wasn't really that interested in going to Ireland, but it was like, Oh, it's but like, I can go to Ireland on someone else's dime during July 4th weekend. So we- I can be like out of here.
1: Let's do it. Let's roll. You know what I'm saying? And so, for our listeners, when's your
2: birthday? July 1st. Oh, I'm July 13th. Oh, cancer! Hello, cancer. Uh,
1: This explains uh, all. Everything. Yeah. The Griot Black
0: Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black Culture Amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard.
1: So we're going to move on to question number four. Okay. Okay, let's do it. This world-famous Ghanaian artist was the first to have artwork featured in outer space. Who is he?
2: How do we go from... To like these obscure. We got a sport, <laughs> darling. We're this not a is sport. like the New York Times crossword from a Monday to a Saturday. Um <laughs> I don't know.
1: So it's Amawako Boafo, who was born in Accra, and he's a graduate of Accra's Ganada College of Art and Design in 2008, and he was awarded the Best Portrait Painter of the Year Award. He then moved to Vienna in 2014 to develop his work, and he's featured, obviously, in lots of exhibitions. And so he's got these paintings, Self-Portrait with Pink Tulips, Shorma's Gold Earrings, and White and Gold Headwrap, which makes make up his sub triptych, which adorned three parachute panels on a spaceship. And so one image is a self-portrait, and the other is a portrait of his mother, and the other is a portrait of his childhood friend. And so he's become one of the generation's most coveted contemporary artists. And I hadn't heard of him, in, you know, before we started doing this research. I mean, I know Kahende Wiley and Chi yes. Yutu, but yes. I was like, this brother has work in outer space. I and really so his name's is Amawako Boafo, for those who want to look up his work. And so I know that you're a jack of all trades. I mean- you know, I totally forgot about Amanda Diva, I can't even believe it. And you, you know, you do stand up, you write, you act. Did you ever dabble in art? Because I feel like people like you always, you know, like you're talented in one. It's kind of like you're talented in all of them. Like, did you draw? Do you paint? I'm like a full visual artist.
2: Really? Like, I've done exhibits. Like, I have sold paintings. I have like, I design all my logos. Um, oh, is... Who's if your you were favorite in a artist? Different room. If we were in a different room, I I could show you some. Uh, who is my favorite artist? Kehinde is up there. Um, I really, really, really love Bisa Butler mm. and Carrie um, James Marshall, mm. mm-hmm. big fan. And you know, I was I was already like a fan of Amy Sherald. And then I got the, inter- I got the opportunity to interview her and it made just me.
1: <laughs> just Yes. Whole, like whole, it was like, I already
2: love your work, but then it was like, Oh, I like love you now. Right. Which makes me love your work even more. Right.
1: Now here's a question though, for sort of people starting out. And I think a lot of people like you, and you sort of touched on this, but people like you who have a lot of these talents, what advice would you give them to sort of not focus on one, but like, how did you know to kind of say put the visual arts stuff not to the side, choices. but like, how do you make those choices of like now I'm going to focus on stand up or now I'm going to focus on my acting career or now I'm going to sort of leave the music behind really quickly so I can I can do a little bit more writing like
2: so I have a couple different ways that I make these choices one if something goes from a challenge to a stress mm. I know it's time to let it go okay right so there's that two if the love is gone mm-hmm. you know like I knew it was time to leave music because the love was gone um and it wasn't that I was leaving music because I don't love music anymore right. I was leaving music so I could get the love back right it's like the leaving of the mountain right right like I had to stop working at the gap because it was making me hate the gap right. and
1: I was as like, I always tell people it's like you gotta leave New York to love New York like when you yes. start trying to push people with strollers and wheelchairs, it's time for you to just it's leave the city for a moment, either a weekend or for a year, like
2: it's or time. forever. Right. Like when I was standing outside of a cab in the rain in front of a precinct, about to knuckle up, buckle up with the Senegalese cab driver, I was like, "It's time it's to time. go. It's time. I've done my time." Right. Um, and then I would say the other, the, the third one in terms of how I make the choice is like what am I willing to give up Mm. for the return of commerce? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I protected art because I realized that like visual art, I protected my visual art because I realized that I didn't want to have to meet the market's standards or the market's wants. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, you do all these other things, Amanda, like where you're going to have to do that, like keep something for you. Yeah. So like I've sold paintings, but not because I was like, let me do, uh, you know, uh, I didn't have the pressure of having to sell the paintings. It was just like, these are for sale if you want them, you know, which is very different. So like in television, you know, I'm in television, I'm in TV and film, but I genuinely hate it right now uh, because it feels similar to what made me say I need to step away from music, which was that the business Mm -hmm. had too far permeated into the creative. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it makes it hard for someone like me to divorce myself from just the frustration of the business and the creative, like those those compartmentalization doesn't happen anymore. So that's how, I mean, I think also, you go with the flow. Yeah. You go with the flow. Like, I've had... So, I remember... I can tell you a really good example of this. I remember... And then um, we're getting
1: to question number five. Don't stall me, fat boy.
2: <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, did, I didn't... Okay. So, this... I just was a very good example. Like, For our listeners, that DJing. was a Coming to
1: America reference. I'm not calling yes. Amanda Seals a fat boy.
2: <laughs> I was... I tried DJing mm-hmm. in, like, 2003. Beverly Bond was, like, training me. But I had to carry crates and it was before Serato. And I just remember standing in the middle of like Astor Place in New York with like eight crates at 3 a.m. after DJing at Joe's Pub and trying to hail a cab. And I was like, no, thank you. this isn't Never how it's see. going to go. You can't do it. So I had to let it go. Mm-hmm. But then later on in life, I remember I just randomly got a text from a homeboy of mine, DJ MO And he was like, hey, are you, are you DJing? And I was like, I mean, I haven't in a while. He was like, well, I have a new night. He knew I could spin, but I hadn't. I mean, this is literally 10 years. Right. And he was like, I have a new night. I'd love for you to come by and just get on the ones and twos. And I was like, oh, I don't know. But he, he was like.
1: Let's do it. He
2: was like, I'll set, he was like, no, like, let's let's set you up. And so I went and did it. And I had a good time. And he invited me to come back. So I came back and I did this it. Is, and I had a good time. And so, you know, and and you kind of like, you, you're like, oh, this is the universe, like, presenting mm-hmm. this to me. Let me receive
1: it. Mm. I love that. I love, I love the idea of receiving. I mean, that's kind of the way. And there I, are
2: my turntables right there.
1: Oh, all the ones and twos. Amanda Seals, on the ones and twos. Okay. <laughs> but
2: actually, to, to actually, let me just put a button in this. Recently, I got the opportunity to DJ again. And I DJed. And they were like, oh, people are asking us to do for you to do parties, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, no. thank you yeah it just doesn't I think we have to just go
1: with the rhythms I mean at least for me like in this like COVID era I'm like I just need to go with the rhythms of like what my inner waves are telling me and like I'm not fighting it like I'm not going against any of that
0: Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, Black fashions, Black mandations, and everything black. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the Black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Um. Okay, we're ready for
1: questions. Mm -hmm. So question number five, this Florida Democrat Democratic primary winner could become the first Gen Z member of Congress. Who is he? Frost. That's right, girl, Maxwell Frost, a 25 year old, former ACLU and March of Our Lives organizer, and he was endorsed by prominent progressives, including Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And so if he's elected in November, uh, he will represent Florida's 10th Congressional District. was a favorite at a very large and crowded field. Uh, the district will cover the Orlando area, which became open after Representative Val Demings announced her run for Senate in Florida. And Demings won her Democratic primary, and so she's going to face Marco Rubio in November as well. And so Frost has roots a broad swath of American life. His parents adopted him at birth. Uh, they're a Cuban-American woman, a white man from Kansas. His birth parents were a Lebanese-Puerto Rican woman and a Haitian man. He Sort of identifies, you know, he's like representative of all the great things that is America. Um, He identifies as Black. He speaks both English and Spanish at home. And he capitalized on his multicultural upbringing to campaign in a district That's as diverse as his own origins. So shout out to Maxwell Frost and wishing him good luck in November. And so I know you follow politics very closely, especially looking at your Instagram account uh, at Amanda Seals, for those of you who want to take a peek. I'm also from Orlando. You're also from Orlando. And so I get this question a lot, and I'm a firm no on on this question. But would you ever consider a political? Never. I mean, you know, obviously my students ask me this all the time. First of all,
2: I'm not trying to get assassinated. That I get enough hate
1: mail, but um, you know, back in the day, it was I don't want to take out my nose ring and like change how I look. I think there are a lot of you know, sort of people in politics now who who have braids and you know, wear bamboo door knockers and do whatever. I just have zero desire, um, to be in the front. And I know that as someone who, who is an actress who does stand up, I mean, you are accustomed to being around a crowd, you're accustomed to moving a crowd as a DJ, but is this it's just not something that is ever of interest
2: i am um, i'm not a public servant girl mm.
1: i don't i don't have that
2: level of love of engaging with people i love the people right. i want the people to have what we deserve but i know my strengths <laughs> i know my limits and I don't have
1: the patience. Girls? Because I love the fact that you said public servant, but we are both Cancerians. And so mm -hmm. we are known for a little slight pop off every now and again. I don't know. I have a lot of discipline in my life. And obviously you do too. But I don't know if there's enough tongue biting in the world for me to ever be a public servant.
2: You know, and that's the thing. It's not even about, like, the tongue biting related to speaking in the press no, or speaking no. publicly. It's the tongue biting related to, like,
1: your constituency
2: yeah. coming at you yeah. sideways.
1: Yes. <laughs> your I will, your I will, colleagues I will, saying something, and it's like, let me. you know what? Class, let, yeah. me, let me just take these right. off real fast and have a quick tete-a-tete with it's, you, my friend.
2: I also just feel like I serve, mm-hmm. I can serve my purpose yes. better being yes. free. Um, being free of the limitations of what that role calls for. And I am, um, I'm just also just too eccentric, mm-hmm. I think, for for that space. But I want to say that um, I know about Frost because this year, my mom, who was in Orlando, she, according to her, she said, because of my urging, she decided to really, really, inform herself Mm. about the go ahead mama and she said in the past she has to admit that she voted very lackadaisically Mm -hmm. um it was kind of like oh i know this person and then oh i really don't know this person but they're democrat whatever and she said that you know in the past two years just hearing my (laughs) rants Mm -hmm. and my passion she said you know i want to really do this right and so she informed herself and she was like, I had never heard of Gen Z. I didn't know what a Gen Z was. But this Frost is a 25 Gen Z man. And they said, you know, he's the one. And I read up on him. And I said, You know, I like the youth. I think this would be a good one. I
1: must have your brother's podcast. I'm going to hound you and hound you until we get Mama <laughs> Seals on this podcast. And you know, it's interesting, we have a previous episode with a woman, Nadege Flormont, who's a Haitian uh, caterer and chef and cookbook author. And we had her on The Blackest Questions. And she talked so lovingly about her father uh, in a very similar way. You know, her introduction to politics and her intro- introduction uh-huh. to food. And I was like, we got to have your father on the podcast. I think as the podcast gets its sea legs, I need to have like a parent episode. Like I need to have <laughs> my mama, who is a riot and a half, or my father, who is low-key just like the funniest Shade throwing character. <laughs> He's also go. from Miami, by the way. Shout out to Florida. Shout okay, to Florida. so you did fantastically, but here's here's Thank the fun you. part. Before I let you get out of here, we're gonna do the black bonus round, and so I like to call the black. Okay. Lightning. So the no correct answers. I just yes. want you to tell me sort of what you feel once you once you hear the question. You ready? Okay. Yes. If you had to choose, okay. the New Wonder Years or the Cosby Show. Okay.
2: I love the new one to you. Okay. But I'm a cancer. Nassata That's always right. gonna win.
1: Okay, I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm still gonna ask it. Coming to America or Black Panther?
2: Oh, coming to America.
1: But also Wakanda <laughs> Forever. Both in, right? Um, okay, so here's a hot <laughs> take. Best stand-up comedian, Marsha Warfield or Monique?
2: I have never I don't think I've seen enough of either okay. of them, but I feel like from the little that I have seen of Marsha, I don't, I can't say best, but I can say my preferred in, in line with my style. Marsha.
1: Oh, I oh the late great Marsha Warfield. Um, at heart, are you an island girl or a city girl? Island girl. Do you girl. prefer? Look <laughs> at my outfit bananas. And the the beauty of this podcast is there's also a visual component. You can catch it on Rio TV (laughs) or YouTube. Okay. Do you prefer wearing high heels or tennis shoes? You know,
2: pre pandemic, I had become a very high heel girl, Mm -hmm. honey, very high heel girl. But then I went back into my kicks. Um, and I will say I'm genuinely in the middle now. Like I genuinely
1: like both equal. okay well do you call them tennis shoes sneakers or kicks okay if you had to choose would you rather chill poolside or lay out on the beach, beach. if you had to choose LA or New York
2: you know in my 30s I would have mm-hmm. said New York but as an adult who doesn't want to run for the train I've got to go okay. with Los Angeles do you prefer
1: <laughs> writing like jokes nature. or telling jokes
2: I don't write okay. any of my jokes. I actually come up with all of them off the top of my head when I'm on stage and I hone them in that way. I don't write them down. So okay. I'm telling.
1: Audiobooks or reading the old fashioned way, cover to cover?
2: Depends on okay. what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I like reading fiction in mm-hmm. cover to cover, but I like nonfiction. Okay. As an
1: Last question. Favorite Grenadian food?
2: Oh, skin up. Well, I mean, skin up is not really a Grenadian food. I mean, it's a Caribbean food, but Grenadians call it skin up. Um, so I would say my favorite Grenadian food. I love a good fish waters, which is really just another name for fish broth. Fish. fantastic. Oh,
0: the Grío black podcast network is here everything you've been waiting for black culture amplified find your voice on the black podcast network listen today on the Grío mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard
1: so amanda you said you come up with your jokes in the moment on stage tell us a little bit more about where we can see you on stage and about that process
2: so I had actually not been on stage for two years because of the pandemic and I just wasn't into it. And then uh, around March, there was just so much, uh, I call it a fountain of fuckery that was happening in this nation and in the world that I just felt compelled to like come back to the stage and I had things I wanted to say and talk about. And that morphed into me saying it's time to go back on tour. So I'm on the Black Outside Again tour and getting to talk about Roe v. Wade and gun control and just the maniacal madness of fascism and these Christians who are just, mm, they are just shading Jesus. Um, and yeah. But then also talking about, you know, hood and... Uh, <laughs> and mm, tell me and, more. <laughs> and deep vaginas. And, you know, there's a myriad of topics that I discuss, but it really... Uh, ends up becoming a conversation on stage because I don't write things down. So it doesn't feel so formal. Don't get me wrong, there's punchlines. I mean, I'm telling jokes and there's beginnings and ends and stories, but being on stage right now feels very fluid because we are in the midst of so many shifts that are immense. And I want Mm -hmm. people to feel seen in my comedy because I know people are at home like, this is crazy. This is wild. And when I come on stage, I want people to feel like seen and heard and like, yes, this is crazy. Yes, this is wild. Let's laugh about it while also learning about it. And something I'm doing at the end of all of my shows, instead of having openers, I'm having closers. And my closers are organizers from the city that I'm in that night. And so Mm -hmm. I'm bringing up organizers to talk about what they're doing, what the work is, why they're doing that work and how the audience can get involved. So that's some of the things that I'm trying to do to like make sure that I keep using my platform in other ways, other than just telling jokes, also partnered with Headcount, we are uh, registering voters at my shows as well.
1: Oh, amen, amen, and ashay. And this is the Black Outside. Tour. This is the
2: Black Outside again tour because we are Black Outside, Outside. again because we was inside. And hallelujah, we Black Hallelu. Outside again. And so it's combined. There's shows that are stand-up shows and there's shows that are smart, funny, and black shows. So you got to look okay. on AmandaSeals.com to see which shows is coming to your city.
1: Oh, I cannot wait. Well, I know that you're coming to BK, so I will see you then.
2: And you know what? This is the perfect show for that because for our BK show, we're asking folks to come dressed as their favorite Black characters, and you know, we talk about that right here on Black Question, Blackest Questions.
1: So, who would you be? Well, at least you're giving, at least you're giving me some time. I mean, I feel like in solidarity and you know, as like an homage to Amanda Seals, I need to dress up as a character from coming to America in some capacity. I um, would But not. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe I'll it. get a little jerry curl. <laughs> like, maybe I'll come as one of the Rose bearers. Like, I don't know. I feel like you could come um, as one
2: of the... Boom, boom,
1: boom, boom. My name is Peaches. My name is Peaches, and I'm the best all the DJs, all the DJs want. want. <laughs> Pick Or maybe I could just be, I was doing them all <laughs> for my former <laughs> life. I mean, I could come as all yes. of them. Like, Well, what I really want to do is be an actress, be a TV star, and, and like, now, you know, movies, you what I'm to do, what do, do, do movies, is like my films and movies. my <laughs> film. So, I gotta I think about you that. Up. Shout out R- RIP Louie Anderson. Um, so, yeah, I need to think about that. I feel like I should dress up as someone coming to America. I like but I don't know. I'm gonna surprise you, and it's gonna be fabulous.
2: I love it. That's all I I'm love it. Say. Surprise me. Y'all I'm come, come out to the show. You. It's gonna be fabulous. Go to Amanda Seals. Um, get your tickets.
1: But can I say, Amanda Seals, I just wanna thank you so much for joining us here on The Blackest Questions. Thank you. For uh, I'm so excited so for all the, the next few projects that you've got coming up uh, that we'll tell all of our listeners about coming out in October. But I also just want to say to our yeah. listeners, thank you so much for listening to The Black's Questions. And this show is produced by Akilah Shedrick, Jesse Vargas, and Sasha Armstrong. And if you like what you heard, please download the GRIO app to listen and watch many more great shows and share it with everyone you know.
0: You are now listening to The GRIO's Black Podcast Network. Black culture amplified.
1: Don't forget, you can listen to the GRIO's Writing Black podcast hosted by me, Mayisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. We interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the GRIO's Black Podcast Network. Download the GRIO's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are.